1 Peter chapter 1. Now I'd like you um, just to go back to the beginning of this chapter, the first chapter, because we're kind of coming in at the end of chapter 1 and then going to the beginning of chapter 2. And um, thinking about what we heard from Mike last week um, and what we looked at already on this chapter, would you like to suggest some words which sum up the themes of what Peter has been talking about? Look at the scriptures and it might um, hopefully jump out at you. Some very key things which this letter uh, has been speaking about. Holiness, yep, certainly in the last bit, the bit that Mike looked at last week, that was a very key theme about being holy. Yep. Um, Salvation, yeah, it's about salvation. That's one of the main themes of the first section of this letter, the salvation that uh, Christ has won for us. Hope, indeed a living hope. That's a very important um, word that uh, comes right the way through 1 Peter, hope. <clears throat> trust. trust, yeah, and I've, I've got faith, but trust, excellent. I think th- those are the words that I've got. I mean, I'm sure you could think of uh, lots more, but uh, um, all the other one, of course, is suffering. Uh, it, it, it links together the suffering and salvation, that uh, save salvation was won through Christ's suffering, and now salvation brings living hope to people who are suffering. So, uh, you know, that's basically where uh, the letter has got. And uh, the the last line that uh, Mike uh, covered last week is the last line, verse 21, and it says, your faith and hope are in love, uh, are in God. (laughs) Whoops. Your faith and hope are in God. What's the missing one? (laughs) Yes. Oh, dear. 1 Corinthians. (laughs) I have to get to bed earlier. Um, yeah, Paul, Paul in his letter to the Corinthians says, now these three remain, faith, hope and love and the greatest of these is love. And I, I like the way that Mike saw parallels in Peter's teaching and Paul's last week. <clears throat> you know, at some points in, in, the, in the Acts of the Apostles it looks like Peter and Paul are singing from two different hymn sheets but they're not. They do come from different contexts, but actually a lot of what Paul writes is very similar to the message that Peter brings. So, um, faith and hope, uh, this is what the letter's been about so far. And and now in verse 22, um, he says, Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for your brothers, love one another deeply from the heart. So uh, there's a now then, if you like, um, the consequence of the, of the faith and hope that you have. Now, it's not true that love was completely missing from the first bit. If you look in verse 8, it says that about God, you've not seen him, but you love him. Which is, again, picking up the theme that we started with earlier today. We, none of us have seen God, but we love him for what he has done <clears throat> and for who he is. <clears throat> And uh, that is what our faith is all about. So now, he says, now that you have purified, actually, literally, it says, purified your souls. It talks about the practical 
implications. Okay, I have salvation. I, I'm, I'm becoming what I am that Christ has won for me. Um, we can't make ourselves holy, but God has made us holy, so be holy, become what you are, was what we were hearing last week. Uh, how do we do that? Well, the answer is the same. Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. Um, and there's a parallel here between some of Jesus' own words. It's coming up for the summer holidays, and uh, for, for some of us, hopefully, that will be a time of a bit of rest and relaxation um, when we can actually uh, maybe just refocus. Um, but Jesus says, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest for your souls. So Jesus is saying a similar thing here. Uh, uh, we can have our souls purified uh, through resting in Jesus. And resting actually means trusting, having faith. It doesn't mean going to sleep, although that's quite useful if you're tired. <clears throat> so he says, the implications of this for our salvation are sincere love for your brothers. Or brotherly affection, as it is in uh, some <coughs> translations of it. Now... Love is a many splendid thing, and love is a many faceted word. And as you know, we've been thinking about all those lovely love is, and we could have gone on all day saying what love is. We can love all sorts of things. Now, let me tell you, who loves cheese? Yeah? Okay, that is good. Cracking a nice piece of cheese is always good. And not just Wensleydale, but who likes Philadelphia. Philadelphia. That is good. Do you know what that word means? Brotherly love. So if you live in Philadelphia, you live in a town called Brotherly Love. If you eat Philadelphia cheese, you are eating Philadelphia. So philo is a, a word for love, one of the words for love. Delphi is, uh, the, the Adelphi theatre is the brotherly, to do with brothers. So Philadelphia, exactly that word in, 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 in the scriptures. Um, and that is where Peter starts. He says, if uh, you've purified, now you've purified your souls, you should show brotherly affection for your uh, brothers and sisters. Uh, people, yes. Absolutely. Well, that's Lovely. Well, th th you're, you're absolutely right. And that's where Peter starts. Loving people uh, is, is really important. Now, not everybody is easy to love. Uh, sometimes we're not, we don't, we're not particularly lovable ourselves. Um, but, yeah, Peter starts with brotherly affection. But then he goes on to say, love one another deeply... And he uses at this point another word. He talks about agape, which is the kind of love that Jesus shows on the cross. Now, actually, he's saying the same thing. He's saying the same thing. He's using two different words to describe the kind of love that we need to have for, for one another. Um, but notice, this is a command. He says, now you have brotherly affection, but then he says, uh, it's a command, isn't it? Love one another deeply uh, is what uh, Peter writes here. Um, but it's a command not just from Peter, it's a command from, from Jesus, isn't it? A new commandment 
I say to you that you must love one another as I have loved you. And hence the, the use of the different word. Jesus uh, loves us as brothers, but he also loves us in a much deeper way a way in which he gave his life. And uh, there are many people uh, who, who love on a kind of a, that human affection level, but the kind of love which goes to the cross is a deeper kind of love, which we are being not only called, but commanded to do. And um, so Peter was there in John chapter 13 when uh, they meet around the table and, and Jesus washes their feet and shows them the depth of his love, and then says, a new commandment I give you. Mm. But Peter was also there in John 21, by the lake of the Sea of Galilee, when Jesus says to him, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord. <laughs> you know I love you. Uh, and then Peter, Jesus says, feed my, feed my lambs. And then three times he asks him the same question. And if you remember when I spoke about this, actually, there is a bit of a play on the words there, because Jesus always says, do you agape me? And Peter always replies, uh, do you filia me? In other words, do you show me brotherly affection? Except the last time, and then Jesus says, do you show me brotherly affection, Peter? And he says, yes, Lord, you know everything. You know that I show you brotherly affection. That's, Peter, this is, this is really personal to Peter, because he knows he has totally let Jesus down. He was a broken man, but now he's a remade man. He's not Simon the fisherman anymore. He is Peter the rock. And we'll think more about that next week in our all-age service. So it's coming out of Peter's own experience, but it goes to our personal experience too, doesn't it? Because we also have let him down. Now the translation in the commentary that I was reading um, gives a different expression here. Rather than love one another deeply... Love one another unremittingly. And I think that probably gets to the heart. What, is it, what does it mean to love someone deeply? You know, to sing a kind of rather uh, uh, sort of romantic poem uh, or whatever it is. I, no, I don't think so. It, but it's unremitting. It's a love which doesn't come and go, not fickle. I love you one minute, but I don't love you the next. It's actually unremitting love. It's love which is permanent. And what does this love look like? Well, we've looked at the 1 Corinthian, love is, love is patient, love is kind. We could go on to say love keeps no record of wrongs, and that's an important lesson, isn't it? If we hang on to past hurts, we're, we're not truly loving and forgiving. We can think about uh, the passage in 1 John 4, where it says no one has ever seen God... Uh, but we love him. But then he goes on to say, if you say you love God, but you don't love your brother, then how can you do that? How can you say I love God that I've never seen if you won't love your brother who you have seen? It, it doesn't make sense, does it? And then in Ephesians, Paul writes about speaking the truth in love. You see, that's, that's the edge of love. Uh, love without truth is a bit soppy and sentimental. Truth without love is harsh and condemnatory. But speaking the truth in love, that is the kind of love that Jesus did. Jesus never told people that their sins didn't matter, did he? He never diluted sin. In fact, he made it even harder for people uh, uh, not to sin. 
by by taking the law. You know, if if you uh, if you say you know you don't murder, well, I've never murdered anyone, but if you have ha- hatred for your brother and you speak harshly to him, you've murdered him verbally um, and etc. But speaking the truth in love is where Jesus is coming. Truth and love are very hard to balance. Very hard to balance indeed. But actually, um, some, uh, it says here we should love from the heart. I think the mind has to be involved as well, because there are things we need to work out. But in some early manuscripts it says, from a pure heart. Well, that makes sense, because now you've purified yourselves, then love deeply from your heart, love unremittingly from your heart. And there's the reason, because you've been born again. And when we are born again, we are born of love. And therefore, as part of the nature of being born again, it must be uh, a reason for loving, because God first loved us. That's why we love, not because we are clever, loving people, because God first loved us, and therefore we must love. And then Peter enters into another theme here in this passage, which he, he, he does so by quoting uh, in a minute from Isaiah. He's talking about some things that are permanent and some things that are temporary. Uh, he says, uh, For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable. When we were born again, it wasn't a temporary thing something that's going to fade and and be of no use in a few years' time. Actually, when we are born again, we are born again permanently. It is a a permanent thing. Um, And he compares humanity, I mean, mean, with grass. Do you feel like grass sometimes? You, You get blown around in the wind. You know, grass springs up very quickly, but certainly in the late spring and early summer, it all shoots up and it looks fantastic. But it doesn't take long before it starts to fade. Uh, and we can see the, the, the fields of corn beginning to go, uh, beginning to go brown um, and golden colour. Um, and then the grass disappears. But he says, actually, you're, you were born again not of that kind of, imperish, uh, of perishable seed, but of imperishable, the living and enduring word of God. The word of God remains forever. Amen? Yeah, if we, we could have a congregation say, Amen, brother. That would be, be good. Uh, but yeah, the word of God is permanent. It doesn't change from year to year. Um, and it, it, doesn't, uh, it can't be diluted, it can't be changed. It stands forever. And so our love for one another should be unremitting because God's love for us doesn't change. His word to us doesn't change. Even if we don't like it, even if our circumstances uh, mean that actually we, the word of God is quite difficult, it doesn't change. It is the same. And then it becomes the beginning of chapter 2. There is a therefore. Uh, Therefore, because of all this, because of this love for us, because of the imperishable word of God, uh, because of the command for us to love one another, rid yourselves of all malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy and slander. And I guess we could add to that list plenty of other things if we wanted, get rid of them. Uh, Those have no place in 
the born-again life. Okay, they do appear, we are human, uh, but we need to, if you like, as soon as they pop their heads up, we need to shoot them down. And it says, like newborn babies. Do you feel like a newborn baby? Oh. A bit wrinkled, perhaps. Um, you know, the skin begins to... You know, you pinch your skin and it, it shows you're getting old, doesn't it? If you pinch it and it doesn't sort of flatten out again. Um, but we are like newborn babies. We've been born again. We should, he says, crave pure spiritual milk. If we are born again like these new babies, we should be craving more of God. And it's so easy, and I'm uh, the, the most guilty here, to just crave other things. You know, things in the world that seem so attractive, whether that be approval of people, whether it be food or whether it be money or, or whatever it might be, uh, we can crave those things. But we should be longing for God. And then he tells us something quite hard. Grow up. Grow up in your salvation. You know, we're not meant to stay as babies. I mean, if those of you that have got children, if they'd stayed as a baby, I know I was speaking to a, a mum the other day, one of the new mums in the village, and the baby's six weeks old, and she's, oh, they grow up so quickly. And, you know, well, they do, but we don't want them to stay as babies, do we? We actually want them to grow up uh, and to become mature. Um, he says, grow up in your salvation. Now you have tasted that the Lord is good. There's the link with Psalm 34. Got that? Uh, Taste and see the Lord is good. And the commentary I was reading uh, by a man called Ramsey Michaels, he says this, Salvation is not a last-minute rescue operation, but a fitting consummation of a process already at work in believers. Shall I read that again? Not a last-minute rescue operation, but a fitting consummation of a process already at work in believers. We have been saved. We are being saved. And we will be saved. And what Peter is, is saying here um, is exactly what Mike left us with last week. Become what you are. We are born again through this living and enduring word of God. Uh, we have received the love of God. Therefore, become what you are. Become holy. Take on that holiness that Christ has given us. Love because he has loved us. Become what we are. That means to grow up. So, you know, sometimes we need to speak the truth in love, don't we? Grow up, folks. Grow up. Mm. Mm. If it needs to be said, we need to say it, don't we? And we need to do it.